Well, we opened this series, Tomorrowland, talking about Disneyland. It seems only fitting that we would close it that way. Uh, five years ago, a spokesperson for the Disney park sat down with the Wall Street Journal to talk about a problem they were having and try to get the word out to visitors that something they were doing was not acceptable. Disney wanted to let people know to stop scattering the ashes of their beloved deceased family members at its theme parks. Apparently, this happened so frequently, they felt it was appropriate to put a statement out letting people know, stop. Uh, sometimes people scatter ashes on the lawn inside the entrance right before the Main Street train station. Uh, sometimes they do it in the rivers of America. But do you know what the most popular place to scatter ashes is? In fact, turn and tell somebody next to you what you might guess the most popular place to uh, scatter remains is at Disneyland. Uh, I cannot wait to see how you do on this one. Let me tell you, Haunted Mansion. <laughs> haunted Mansion. I, I, uh, I did some research this week. The best number I could find was from 2013. As of 2013, 14 times people have tried to spread ashes on the Haunted Mansion ride, usually at the same exact part, the ballroom scene where there are dancing ghosts. Um, are some of you familiar with this scene? Do you remember this scene from the ride? Uh, because you're high above the ballroom when you watch the ghosts dance, people think they will throw the ashes and watch them fall down like snowflakes onto the scene. But what they don't realize is that there is plexiglass they cannot see. <laughs> just on the other side of their doom buggy and inevitably when they throw the remains it just splashes off the glass back at them and other riders and it makes the scene completely unviewable uh, when it's discovered disneyland has to shut down that ride for four hours to clean all of that up and the spokesperson said that, that, that people do this somewhere in one of their parks at least once a month can you believe that um, back to the, the Haunted Mansion, I think it's Disney's fault. Uh, they're the ones who, who have a narrator saying at the beginning of the ride, we have 999 happy haunts, but there's always room for one more, right? Uh, well, this brings up a question, doesn't it? Where will you spend eternity? Um, so far, we've been spending a lot of time talking about tomorrows, the tomorrows that will happen literally tomorrow, or, or the tomorrow after that, all the way up until you die. But what we have not talked about yet this series is the tomorrow that is after those. What is after the tomorrow that you have here on this earth? As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we believe in this thing called heaven, that there is this paradise for those who have committed their lives to Jesus, made him their savior, their rescuer, their leader, they've received his grace, there is this eternal life in heaven waiting for us at the end of this life on earth. And, and can we acknowledge, Jody mentioned it, we don't talk about it enough at Crosswinds. That is probably a mistake. Um, can I confess to you that I don't talk about heaven enough? And, and the reason is, a long time ago, somebody told me something very true, that some Christians are so heavenly-minded, they are no earthly good. Have you heard that before? Uh, that was actually first said by Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr. in, in the 1800s, uh, but uh, it was better said by Johnny Cash in 1977. Uh, take a listen to the words of a song that he wrote. 
Come heed me, my brothers. Come heed one and all. Don't brag about standing or you'll surely fall. You are shining your light and shining you should, but you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. That's pretty great, right? Let me read you verse two. If you're holding heaven, then spread it around. There's hungry, hungry hands reaching up here from the ground. Move over, share the high ground where you stood. So heavenly minded, you are no earthly good. The idea behind that is that as a Christian, you can be so focused on this wonderful life waiting for you in heaven that you completely disregard what it means to be the hands and feet of Jesus on this place that he has put us right now. Anyway, somebody spoke to me that criticism of Christians once, and it got in my head, and it kept me from talking too much about heaven. I have seen my share of Christians who do not care about suffering in this world because uh, it's all going to go away someday anyway. Uh, this life is temporary. We're just visitors here. Seen a few with that attitude. Um, by the way, I've seen far more Christians, people like you, who do care about what's wrong in this world and who devote their time and their resources to making it better. I guess what I'm saying is, the reason I have not talked about heaven enough is because I don't wanna be so heavenly minded, I'm no earthly good. But the truth is, it is okay for you and I to think about heaven, to teach on heaven, to talk about it. And actually, actually, what I wanna tell you today is you were made to long for heaven. There's this moment where Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's getting close to the end of his earthly life. And he is concerned that they will be very disappointed after he's gone. They'll be sad and they'll be scared. And, and so he tells them this, John 14, you heard me say I'm going away. <clears throat> if you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father. Basically, he's saying here, trust me, heaven with God is something we're looking forward to. It's worth longing for. And, and, and I show you that to say that maybe it's okay to be a little heavenly minded, at least according to Jesus. I mean, come on, earlier in that same chapter, he's the guy that said this, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm gonna go there to prepare a place for you? My father's house, so many rooms, you cannot wait. You've never been to a house so big. Those are the words of Jesus, wanting you to long for heaven. And real quick, this sense that we will live forever somewhere, um, that's been a part of every civilization in human history. Australian Aborigines pictured heaven as a, as a distant island beyond the western horizon. The early Finns thought it was an island somewhere in the faraway east. Uh, Mexicans, Peruvians, and Polynesians believed that they went to the sun or the moon after they died. Native Americans believed that in the afterlife, their spirits would hunt the spirits of buffalo. In the pyramids of Egypt, the embalmed bodies had maps placed next to them as guides to the future world. The Romans believed that the righteous would, would, would picnic in the Elysian fields while their horses grazed nearby. And of course, 21st century Americans dumped ashes on the haunted mansion, hoping their loved ones would dance with hologram ghosts in a Disney ballroom. Anthropological evidence suggests every Every culture has a God-given innate sense of the eternal, that, that this world is not all that there is. You were made to long for heaven. I, I told you in the first week of this series, tomorrow is in you. God put tomorrow in you. When I said that, I did not just mean your hopes or your dreams. 
It is a longing for an eternal tomorrow. Uh, David Jeremiah wrote in one of his books about a kid who grew up in a small town in Nova Scotia, Canada, and, and she became enthralled with Southern California after seeing it on television, uh, particularly Los Angeles. Um, sitting in Canada, she watched TV shows that were filmed in LA. She was fascinated by the celebrity lifestyle and the glitter and the palm trees and the weather. And she learned somehow that 323 was one of the area codes for the LA area. And so as a kid, she would get on the house phone and she would dial 1323 and then seven random numbers. And sometimes somebody would actually answer and she would say, hi, is this Los Angeles? And when the person said yes, she would hang up right away, thrilled to have just spoken with a real person in Los Angeles. Uh, the cause came to her, an end when her dad saw the phone bill. But I love that story of somebody calling to hear a voice and hanging up, to, to, to reach out and see if you can be a part of it for even just a second right now. That is what it is to long for heaven, to long for a better place. No offense, Nova Scotia. Once, when asked about Christians being too heavenly-minded, C.S. Lewis wrote this. This is so good. He wrote, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but it's one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. So as we finish this series on Tomorrowland, let's take some time and talk about an eternal tomorrow that is waiting for us in the life of heaven. That is the goal today, to open the Bible together and see what it has to say about what heaven will be like. Okay, a quick disclaimer. When we talk about heaven and an eternal tomorrow with God, we are talking about something for people who have received God's grace. Now, I, I am not gonna be talking about grace today. We, we talk about grace a whole lot around here. Some say too much. Uh, today, to spend as much time as possible talking together about heaven, I'm not gonna talk to you about how you get there. I'm gonna talk about what it is. Um, don't worry. We have a four-week series starting in two weeks where we will discuss grace so much you will be sick of grace by the time we get to Easter if there's such a thing as being sick of grace. Second disclaimer, um, I'm not gonna teach on hell today. It's funny, whenever I teach on heaven, and, and it's admittedly been rarer than it should be, someone comes up afterwards and says, why didn't you talk about hell? And I, I wanna say, um, what's wrong with you? You were rooting for a message on hell? Remind me not to go on vacation with you anytime soon. Uh, truth is, I do believe in hell, or, or actually that's a German word. The Bible doesn't quite use that word in, in its original languages, but I do believe in what the Bible describes as an eternal tomorrow that is separated from God and separated from heaven and paradise. And, and we have talked about that here before, uh, more than people give us credit for, but I've only got 30 minutes, and rather than 15 minutes on heaven and, and 15 minutes on hell this morning, wouldn't you rather take today and just do a deep dive for 30 minutes into heaven? Let's do that. So, oh, good, I'm glad. So let's start with this, okay? There is a lot of imagery in the Bible when it comes to heaven that is downright confusing. It's confusing. There's a lot of imagery in the Bible that I, I think that, that, that might have been misconstrued by Christians who are trying to get concrete certainty about what it is they have to look forward to. And oftentimes, 
our ideas of heaven are centered around some not so great Bible reading. Uh, for example, a few minutes ago, we read a passage out of John 14 where Jesus said, in my father's house are many, many rooms. And, and, and that does not mean that God has literally built one big mansion that will house every Christian who has ever lived. Um, there are currently over 2 billion Christians around the globe. That is not including those who have already passed away. Okay, a house that has billions of bedrooms does not sound like a house, right? It sounds like Las Vegas. Uh, when we read this imagery in the Bible, we've got to understand this is just imagery. It is meant to be metaphor. Um, you all remember what metaphor is from middle school English? It's when a word or a phrase is applied to something else, and it's not, it's not meant to be considered literal. So when we say things like, uh, life is a highway, we don't mean that literally. It's a, it's a metaphor. If someone's an early bird, they're not actually a bird, uh, it is a metaphor. Okay, some people struggle to understand that metaphors don't just exist today, they existed back in the times the Bible was written. So in Revelation 21, John has a vision, and he writes the vision down, and he says this. The 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. And people have read that and they say, will heaven have gates made of pearl? Let's call them pearly gates. And that is very likely not what John was wanting people to get from what he wrote. Uh, by the way, in that same verse, he continues, the great street of the city was gold, as pure as transparent glass. And Christians read that, and they said, heaven has streets of gold. Have you heard that? Although, um, can I be honest? This one's confusing to me because he says the gold was transparent glass. Uh, what is the point of gold if it's just gonna look like glass? I'm cheap, why not just buy glass to begin with? <laughs> My point is, that as we talk about today, uh, today about heaven or what we expect tomorrow in heaven to look like, we are not gonna be able to get a, a very literal vision of what heaven can be for you to long for. And the Bible never intended to give you a literal picture like that. Um, I, I wanna walk you through some expectations that you can have about heaven, help you know what you can be longing for. Uh, I'm gonna give you five expectations from scripture itself, all right? Here we go. The first one, 2 Peter 1:11. Peter is writing to Christians and he says this. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election for if you do these things, you will never stumble and here it is. You will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All right, with, with each of these five, I'm gonna tell you what we know about heaven and then what that means for you. And right here in 2 Peter, we see something you should know. You will receive a rich welcome. The first thing you ought to know about heaven is that your eternal tomorrow includes a rich welcome. Now, let's stop right there. Why does that matter for me? Some of you right now are saying, I don't care if they roll out the red carpet for me. I'm the kind of person who likes to just like slip in the back. Don't make a big deal out of me. I'm happy to just be anonymous when I get there. Um, I am this way. Uh, I hate being the center of attention. I know that sounds crazy considering what I do on Sunday mornings, but, but trust me, this is about ever, all I ever wanna do in front of people. Uh, anyway, last weekend, uh, Andrea and I went to a show at the Bankhead. Uh, it was a Sam Cooke tribute show. Does some of you know who Sam Cooke is or was? Uh, passed away in 1964, but has an incredible catalog of amazing music. Anyway, we are at this concert and we get seated in the front row. 
and I hate being seated in the front row. You are brave people who are sitting in the front <laughs> row all the time. Uh, I don't know what it is about me, but, but I have never been to anything where I sat in the first few rows and did not somehow get called out by the performer. I hate going to comedy clubs because they find me and I am the one that they make fun of. Uh, Broadway musicals, somehow, I find the one musical where they feel like they need to interact with the audience, and they pick this guy right here in the front row. So we get sat in the front row, and I say to my wife, Andrea, this is going to be terrible. Something is going to happen involving me, and she says, no, he's just going to sing Sam Cooke songs, and it'll be over. So we get through the first half of the night, all the way to intermission, and Andrea is right. He just sings, and it's really, really great. And, and in intermission, we actually we run into some Crosswinds people. Like uh, four of you were there, um, not all together, uh, who who also enjoy Sam Cooke as much as we do. And one of them said to me, "Oh, we could see you down front the entire show. It is very obvious that it's you." And I think, thanks. As if I didn't feel self-conscious before, I do now. Anyway, the second act of the show starts, and the performer decides to start the second act, entering in from the side of the house, from the audience, singing his way through the aisles. And he finds his way to the front row, where he stops and sings a bit in front of everybody, and then he decides that that is not enough. And he takes a seat on my lap while he sings. <laughs> the rest of the song as I hear the uproarious laughter behind me and I think, what is it about me? Why does this happen? <laughs> By the way, somebody just walked in from the parking lot this morning and said, I have a picture of you with this guy sitting on your lap <laughs> last weekend at this show. Okay, some of us like me do not think we need a rich welcome. I'll just, I'll just be there in heaven. I don't need anybody to make a fuss over me, but, but let's talk about something. Some of you suffer from imposter syndrome. Um, when I say that, what I mean is you feel like you don't deserve or, or like you have not achieved the success that you've achieved in life or the place you are. You feel like you are a little bit of an imposter. And it's only a matter of time till somebody finds you out. You might feel that at work. You might feel that at church or any number of settings. And, and there are some rooms you walk in in this world where you do not feel like you belong. For some of you, there might be very few rooms you feel you do belong. And again, you wonder if somebody is going to find you out and, and realize that you don't really belong there. Some of you have been feeling this for a few years. Some of you have been feeling this your whole life. And here is what it means when the Bible says your eternal tomorrow includes a rich welcome. It means you will feel an incredible sense of belonging. Imagine a future where you know you belong every second of every day, everywhere you go, with, with all that is different about you, with all that is wrong with you in your earthly life, even with all the faults that God knows about you, or I should say knew about you as a person on earth, you know you belong. You have that to look forward to, feeling a sense of belonging for eternity, one thing that you can expect in heaven is a rich welcome, which means you will feel like you belong. Second thing you can expect, and this one is talked about many places in scripture, but let me show it to you in Luke 6.35. This is Jesus talking, and he says, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything, and then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the most 
high. Jesus says right there, someday in your eternal tomorrow, there will be a great reward. Your eternal tomorrow includes a great reward. Now, this one has always been kind of meh to me. I don't need rewards because the whole point of heaven is that it's great. How could great be made greater? And yet this reward thing, it mattered enough for Jesus that he brought it up multiple times. He talked about storing up treasures in heaven. He talked about reward. Don't store up treasures on earth. Store them in heaven. What he meant by that was you will receive a, war, a reward based on what you do here from him. So what you do here on earth has a direct bearing on how you will live there. Your reward is re related to what you did here. Now, why does that bug us? Bugs me. I can't quite figure out why. I think maybe it's two reasons. One, I believe in grace and that you cannot earn your way to heaven. It's through Jesus dying on the cross. It's because of what he did, not what you or I do. Look at that. I ended up talking about grace anyway. But the point of heaven is that it's not something I earn. So to hear that there's a reward feels a little bit funny. I think that's why this bugs me. Uh, the second, I think, or I like to think, that I'm above extrinsic motivation. I hope I do right things or I do good things because they're good things, not because of the promise of some bigger reward. But, but think about it this way. We, we, we talked about investing a few weeks ago. and Specifically, we talked about investing or using your things, your resources, your money, your time to invest in somebody else's eternity. But I don't have to do that. I have a choice. Instead, I can invest in me, more things for me, more of what I want for me. And, and, and what do you call that when you use your things to get what you want? Extrinsic motivation. I like to think that I'm above it, but none of us are. None of us are. And Jesus knew this. God knows this about us. I am either going to use what I've been given to reward myself here or reward myself there. Now, this is the fascinating thing. My days here are numbered. So are yours. There's a literal number on you that is ticking down. I hope your number's big. I hope mine is big. We don't know. And what Jesus said in Matthew about storing up treasures is that, that there is a tomorrow coming for you in heaven that does not have a clock counting down. There is a wonderful tomorrow where the days go on forever and you can use your things, your resources to expand what you have right here in your dwindling number of days. My rewards on earth got bigger and more vast as my days got smaller to use them. And usually that's at the expense of somebody else you could be helping or a way that you could be investing in somebody's eternity. Or you can use those same resources to expand their in heaven, where you will enjoy better rewards for a whole lot longer, like eternally. Jesus said, I know that you are extrinsically motivated. I wired you that way. I want you to pair that with delayed gratification. <laughs> Use what I give you to invest in others. Build a reward there, not here. What you do on earth has a direct bearing on how you will live for eternity. Okay, third one. Your eternal tomorrow includes a restored body. Philippians 3.20 says this, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, look at this, will transform our lowly bodies 
so that they will be like his glorious body. Heaven includes you in a restored body. I, I want you to think about what is wrong with your body right now. Everybody I know has something. Everyone I know has something. Colitis, too much sun exposure, male pattern balding, thoracic outlet syndrome, gluten intolerance. Uh, my wife was just diagnosed with celiac disease. Uh, after all these years, just figured that out. She's asymptomatic, but it affects her body's ability to process nutrients. A anyway, um, this has greatly affected one of our favorite things to do together, eat. And, and, and I cannot wait until heaven where we get to eat bread again together. <laughs> and brownies and cinnamon rolls and pizza that does not have a cauliflower crust. <laughs> Um, I'll just say, if you told 16-year-old Chris Coley living outside Chicago that someday instead of eating a deep dish, I'd be eating pizza from cauliflower crust, I would have punched you so hard. <laughs> and in heaven, you get a restored body. You can eat whatever you want, and your restored body and your restored stomach will say, bring it on. I can take whatever you will throw at me, which... Which, speaking of, you might ask, Chris, how do you know there will be food in heaven? And to that I say, how dare you? <laughs> that is heaven to me. Endless good food. In fact, let me give you a word of advice from your pastor. Uh, if you end up in eternity and you find there's no food, you ended up in the wrong place, okay? <laughs> Actually, actually, why do I think that there's food? Because Jesus, in his restored body after the resurrection, he appeared multiple times to the disciples, and almost every time we read about him after the resurrection, he is sitting down and eating with them. So yeah, your restored body is able to eat food. Jesus was able to eat, he was able to touch. Let's assume his restored body is the pattern for ours. So what does this mean? Your eternal tomorrow includes a restored body. So you will be the best you you have ever been. Um, will I be five-year-old Chris or 28-year-old Chris? I don't know, but it'll be the best version of my body I've ever had. Better, because let me tell you, it's never been perfect. <laughs> All right, next one, fourth one, okay? We'll find some direction about this one in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. It talks about Jesus coming back in this passage. And it says, after that, after he comes back, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. The idea is that there is going to be a reunion of those who've passed and those who have not. And your eternal tomorrow includes a reunion. It is not you alone in heaven with God or, or, or with a random bunch of strangers. Um, I, I want to quote David Jeremiah again. He, he writes this. This is so good. Look at this. Our lives here are ordered by the Lord, and he brings us together on earth in friendships and in marriages and family units and relationships and fellowship. And he says the same God who brought us together the first time will reunite us and will pick up where we left off Minus all disagreements and personality conflicts. I like that part. <laughs> I don't know that there will be streets of gold or pearly gates or a giant mansion that has billions of bedrooms, but I know you will see your son who passed away before his time. And, and, and your spouse, who you so desperately miss. And your father that you wished you could have said that last thing to that, 
that you didn't get to say. And even that one friend who is mad at you and refuses to reconcile with you here on this earth. And, and, and there's a bunch of Christians that I cannot wait to go up to in heaven and say, what were you thinking? <laughs> and others that I cannot wait to say, oh, I love what you were thinking. I'm sure I will get a little bit of both of those directed at me. But your eternal tomorrow includes a reunion. So what that means, you will get to be with those you so miss right now. Last one, and then we're going to close the series out in style. Uh, your eternal tomorrow includes being face-to-face -face with Jesus. Revelation 22 says we will see Jesus face. I, I think back to the middle of the COVID pandemic and how almost everybody was working from home. We were all working from home, especially us here on our staff. We were as well. And, and one day, um, while we were on campus finally working together, after everybody was working home, but we, we could all come back together, we were all wearing masks, legitimately wearing masks all the time. I, I think what was probably for months. But one day, we had a staff meeting out in the Creekside Barn, open air, and we all felt comfortable enough taking off our masks. And I, I remember what it was like and how significant that was to see my friends' faces and their smiles and their weird Fu Manchus and goatees and whatever they were all doing when they didn't have to show their face in public. And, <laughs> and there is something about being face-to-face. -face. And your tomorrow includes that with Jesus. And 2 Corinthians 5.9 tells us why that matters. Paul writes this. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body, that means here on earth, or away from it. Paul says, heaven or earth, your core purpose, your goal is the same, to please God. And here's why it matters that you'll see Jesus face to face. Your purpose will be the same, to please Jesus, which means you can get started now. You don't have to wait for heaven to do the thing that you were made to do for eternity. Now, we've spent eight weeks in this series talking through what it looks like to live into our tomorrows. And I have, I have spoken with so many of you and watched you take big steps and make big decisions and take some big risks. And I've watched many of you do some courageous things for tomorrow, and we're about to be done. And it'll be a while until we talk about this again someday, which we will. But it occurred to me, many of you will find somewhere in this Tomorrowland journey moving forward that something goes wrong. You wonder as we leave today, what if I take a wrong turn? What if I get lost in my Tomorrowland? And, and, and this is maybe the best thing about heaven. If you have given your life to Jesus and you have received his grace, no matter how lost you get in your journey through Tomorrowland, if you've done that, you will find yourself with him and with us in heaven an eternal tomorrow. And I know that we have covered a lot in what if, what if I make a wrong move? What if I mess up? What if I let Jesus down? What if the people who are supposed to do Tomorrowland with me don't do their part? What if, what if? I, I, I heard a song recently that speaks to the what ifs on our way to heaven. It, it is called Way Home. And, and I thought that the sentiment from this song would be a great way to close this series and speak to some of those what ifs you might be feeling. Would you listen to this? And then I'm gonna come back up and pray us out.
running wide open Firestone smoke in the day that I turned 16 I was hell-bent and reckless Never stopped for directions Off track but no way back for me Well, they say that life is a highway And I put some miles on my Oh, then one time I took the wrong two lane Yeah, just letting my horses run wild Yeah, I got lost until I got found Oh, now that it's well with my soul I just ride in the seat next to Jesus Cause I know he knows the way home the best thing about Tomorrowland. When you have received Jesus as your leader, as your rescuer, your savior, what it means is that, that tomorrow is not just made even better, your literal on earth tomorrows, but you receive an eternal tomorrow that you cannot screw up. You will not mess it up on your way there. He gets you home. Will you stand with me? We're going to close today in prayer. And I, I just want to pray for you, a blessing for you on the tomorrows that you've got in front of you in the coming seasons. Let's do that. God, as we sit here right now, having thought today about the eternal tomorrow that you have prepared for us in heaven, God, we say we long for it. 
Thank you for placing tomorrow in our hearts. Thank you for placing heaven in our hearts. God, we look forward to a reunion. We look forward to restored bodies. We look forward to so much, but we look forward to seeing Jesus face to face. In the meantime, God, I want to ask that you would bless our tomorrows. Help us follow you, take risks for you. Help us hear your voice speaking to us and calling to us to something greater than we could do on our own. God, thank you for being that thing next to us taking the wheel as we drive into tomorrow. We do not do it alone. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for coming today. We'll see you next week.